passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, we are live on this beautiful Sunday afternoon from the Big Phil Palace in Aurora, Ontario, Canada. I am the Big Phil Combo, Phil Chair Talk. Joining me, as seems like always, the one, the only, Eric Marcotte is here to review all the action from last night's UFC 277. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you doing, Phil? I'm doing great. I mean, it seemed like the show wasn't going to work at the last minute, but uh, miracles happen, and here we are, just uh, two minutes late. Uh, not too bad. Uh, we've got a full house in uh, in the YouTube chat. Uh, I I got up early. I went to the gym. It's beautiful outside. I'm feeling great. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got up nice and early at the gym. I had a nice, healthy breakfast, and uh, here we are. That's right. That's right. To lay down all the action from uh, UFC 277, which happened uh, last night from Dallas, Texas, the American Airlines Center, uh, an attendance of 19,442, a massive $4.45 million gate. The UFC can do no wrong, it seems, with their uh, live pay-per-views uh, from a business standpoint. On the call was uh, Rogan, Anik, and Cormier. Uh, and before we get to recapping the action, just wanted to get your thoughts on this card and the main event ahead of time. I mean, when the first fight between Pena and Nunez happened, uh, big upset, Pena got the victory. Dana White was adamant that the rematch would be the biggest fight in women's MMA history. How did you feel about this one going in? Uh, I had a feeling that it would not, in fact, be the biggest fight in women's MMA history, but uh, they certainly had more attention attached to it than uh, Amanda Nunes' title defenses in, you know, really any of them in recent memory. And uh, I think you saw by their headlining position on this card that this was uh, about that had a bit more interest and prestige going into it than some, of, like I said, her prior matchups. Yeah, it, 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 it had a low-key build. And then it seemed like uh, right around fight week, there got to be a fair bit of excitement. Uh, the card itself was a little bit lacking on the name value. We also had a interim title fight for the uh, men's flyweight strap. Uh, we'll get to that and the need for the interim belt. Uh, but why don't we start with the uh, main event and uh, how that one uh, went down, Eric? All right, so our main event was Juliana Pena attempting to defend her UFC Bantamweight Championship against Amanda Nunes. Of course, this was the rematch of their fight from December of last year, a fight that Pena won by submission in the second round, one of the uh, biggest upsets in UFC history, really. So 
Uh, going into this one, uh, Nunez starts the fight by attacking the league leg of Pena with some heavy kicks as the fighters were trading punches. Uh, Nunez seemed to be landing the heavier shots, but Pena was finding success with her jab and uh, a lot of these straight right hands. Uh, a counter right hook caught Pena on her way in, and it dropped her to a knee momentarily. This was a sequence that immediately repeated itself, and this counter right hook from Amanda Nunez would become the uh, story of the fight for the next couple rounds. Uh, Pena did defend a takedown attempt towards the end of the round uh, before the fighters traded hands, but I thought this was a fairly clear round for Amanda Nunes. Uh, we go into the second round, and not long into it, uh, Nunes drops Pena with a hard counter right hand, and Pena gets back to her feet, looking a bit wobbly, and she is just rushing in wildly, throwing strikes with a uh, Chin up in the air, no defense to speak of, and two more times throughout this round, she gets countered by that right hook from Amanda Nunez and dropped hard. Um, both, well, all three times, Nunez allows Pena to return to her feet, choosing not to engage her on the ground, but um, uh, this was a very one-sided round. I mean, Pena probably technically landed more than Nunez, but her strikes were not having much of an effect in comparison to Nunez, who was knocking her down repeatedly. Uh, I gave this a 10-8 round for Amanda Nunez. I think it's hard to argue against when you knock your opponent down three times. Uh, did you feel the same way? Uh, I did not. I did not give it a 10-8. So, so we can we we, oh we can God. go to to the mattresses uh, for this one. But uh, 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 I, you know, I'm a bit of a stickler, I guess. I'm old school with the 10-8s. Um, they were they were clear knockdowns, but. You know, MMA is in boxing, and uh, I just sort of felt like, as you pointed out, Pena did land more than Nunez in this round, and it's not like her strikes were completely useless. They obviously didn't have the same power as uh, Nunez's, but uh, it's it wasn't that quite that sort of damaging beatdown that I, I usually give a 10-8-4. So uh, it was it was clear, it was decisive, but uh, I did not give the 10-8 this time. Uh, well, maybe if Nunez got nine knockdowns, then we could uh, <laughs> reopen the conversation. Don't worry, one of the judges saw it the same way as you. Anyways, getting into uh, the third round, Nunez starts off with a spinning elbow, and uh, Pena's trying to work her way into the clinch, but she can't keep Nunez there. Uh, Pena's still pressing forward with strikes, but the counter shots from Nunez are largely keeping her at range. Uh, around the midway point of this round is when this fight really changed levels as Nunez decided to change her approach instead of taking Pena down. Uh, she spends the majority of the round working from Pena's guard. Um, Pena is actually fairly like active off of her guard chasing submissions, but uh, none of them are that close to actually catching Nunez. And uh, the damage is being done from Nunez in top position, dropping huge elbows that are uh, cutting Pena open. Uh, I thought this was another fairly clear round for Amanda Nunes. We go into round four, and I thought this was, for what it was, the most exciting round of the fight. Uh, Pena is quickly taken back down, but this was... So, as I said, she's very active off of her back chasing submissions, but this was as close as she came to actually securing one because at one point she went after a, an armbar, I believe, and she had Nunes actually in a pretty great position, but the problem was the fighters were very close to the cage. And Nunez is a skilled grappler herself. She escapes the position or she retains top position. And 
she really starts pouring down the ground and pound. Uh, Juliana Pena, just a, a bloody mess by the time she finally makes it back to her feet. Uh, Nunez takes her right back to end the round. Uh, I thought this was the closest round of the fight, but I still scored round four for Amanda Nunez. Uh, how did you see it, Phil? Yeah, I saw it the same way. There was just too much damage from the top position. I mean, the, the arm bar was uh, very close, it looked like. It was super tight. Um, and, you know, she had a couple of attempts at some sweeps, some omoplata, some triangles, but ultimately none of those were effective and it didn't do that much damage. Uh, one thing to note, uh, that was, I think, a key component to this fight was from the first fight, the activity off of Pena's back really wore on Nunez. Uh, Pena was active here, but she wasn't nearly as effective as she was in the first fight. And Amanda herself was able to land a lot of damage. And I think that was, I think that was actually the big key to the, this fight. Just even though uh, Pena was extremely active off her bottom, it didn't have the effect of deteriorating the cardio of Amanda Nunez like it did the first time. Well said. We get into the final round, and uh, Nunez once again takes Pena right back down. Um, I, I think Nunez attempts a choke at one point at Darce, perhaps, and Pena pops back to her feet, but she gets taken right back down. Uh, the majority of the rest of the round gets spent here. At one point towards the end, uh, Nunez kind of throws a diving right hand that seems like it, it hurt Pena, but uh, she takes Pena's back, locks in the body triangle. Pena does escape, and uh, the fight ends on the ground. Uh, Amanda Nunez wins by unanimous decision, scores of 50 to 45, 50 to 44, and 50 to 43 to win back her UFC Bantamweight Championship. She is once again a double champion. Uh, I scored the fight 50-44 for Nunez. I'm assuming you're 50-45. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there, there was no other round that warranted a 10-8 either for me. Um, but uh, just a really terrific performance from Amanda Nunez. And in that fifth round, she was trying to finish the fight in the last minute. It seemed like she just made a calculated decision to really go for it. She even went for a uh, crucifix at one point. Um, so... Clearly, the cardio question, quote-unquote, for Amanda Nunez was answered. Um, that was my biggest concern going into this one. Even in fights that she had had that were five rounds, like against uh, Valentina Shevchenko or uh, some of her other uh, title fights, you could see her... The Valentina ones were very slow and methodical so that it, they weren't terribly taxing from a cardio perspective. And some of the other ones... She did get tired, but she was so much superior than her opponents that she was able to withstand that, and it didn't really play a factor. So I, I had this idea in my head that there was a history of fatiguing, and I knew Juliana Pena was going to be there for all five rounds, which she was. I mean, in a great, you know, a great display of resilience, but. Amanda Nunez came in super prepared conditioning-wise, and that allowed her to use all of her skills. And I think that's the the true story of the fight. It was it was actually a tremendous mixed martial arts performance because she won the fight everywhere. Yeah, I feel like uh, prior to Nunez actually becoming a champion back at UFC 200, uh, one of the narratives in her career was that she was a fighter who gassed as the fight was, uh, wore on, typically in three-round fights even. Uh, as as her career has progressed, that narrative has lessened, obviously. She's shown impressive cardio in five-round fights against uh, fighters like 
uh, Felice Spencer or um, Raquel Pennington. But after the last fight, my concerns were the same as yours. Seeing her gas out that quickly against Juliana Pena, obviously she had a severe bout of uh, COVID-19, which that's we that's impacted a ton of athletes cardio-wise. So she seems to have uh, fixed whatever uh, was ailing her in the last fight. And this was a very dominant one-sided fight. Uh, whenever you have fighters who are one and one especially in a division where there isn't a lot of big names, the uh, option of going straight towards the trilogy bout comes up. Personally, I thought this is a one-sided enough fight that I really have no interest in an immediate third fight. Uh, that being said, there's not a lot of options in the division. I think Ketlin Vieira is the only other uh, sensible name, and I do think that's the direction that they'll probably go in next, but it would not shock me if they did the trilogy fight next either, Phil. Uh, you know, it, it wouldn't shock me because of the lack of names. I mean, this did a, a, a huge gate. Uh, I'm not sure that that's really the co- because of cat attack here. Cat attack. Get away. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that that's really because of, you know, Nunez and Pena as a draw as it's uh, more about, you know, just the UFC pay-per-view brand. Like, you, you don't have to put a name on a card and pretty confident they're going to get a sellout. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know it's slim pickings though. Like Caitlin Vieira is not a, a big name either, and so uh, the prospects of that drawing terribly well uh, are are you know I don't I don't see that uh, being the case. Now perhaps you know Amanda Nunez, her star has grown. This this adds to the lore, right? You know now reclaiming the double champ status. So it will be interesting to see what the pay per view buys. For this, uh, I, I am a bit curious, but I'm not terribly uh, enthusiastic about uh, what they might be, especially considering uh, the other names on the card. Uh, one thing uh, to note that I ne- neglected was uh, that Amanda Nunez started an entirely new camp for this fight. Uh, her own team, it's completely focused on her. You know, it's more of like a boxing style of preparation. And, you know, clearly it paid dividends. She had re- renewed excitement for for the fight uh, game. And so I, I, you know, some people were speculating that she may consider retirement, but I get the impression that, you know, she's going to continue fighting and is is wants to just maintain that dominant status. Of course, a lot of people are going to be asking about a potential third fight between her and Valentina Shevchenko. Um, and as exciting as that would be for me, it does seem like, uh, Valentina Shevchenko is also, uh, committed to stay in the flyweight division. She doesn't seem to express too much interest in moving up. So, uh, you know, outside of, of Pena and, uh, Vieira, it, it really is slim pickings for opponents for her. There's, there's no one at 145. And, uh, you know, Kayla Harrison is locked up for at least a, a couple more years. So uh, not really too sure what you can do with uh, Nunez uh, other than those, you know, two fights. Uh, but they're not terribly uh, compelling to me. Uh, no, they're not compelling to me either. But, you know, two, two fights. Uh, let's just say theoretically both of those fights happen in the next year, year and a half. Well, 
maybe the narrative will change in that time. Uh, Dana White did express interest in that third fight between Shevchenko and Nunes. Uh, that is the one fight that would draw money, right? That's the one. It, it, it didn't last time, but neither Shevchenko nor Nunez are on the level of star power that they are now. Uh, I do think that's a fight that a lot of people would be interested in. I'm not optimistic about it actually happening, but that's what we're looking at right now in the UFC women's bantamweight division and the UFC women's flyweight division and the UFC women's featherweight division. That's the reality of the situation. The featherweight division. Can you name me some other fighters in the featherweight division? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, Jocelyn Edwards and Amanda Nunes and sometimes Holly Holm and Holly. sometimes Jermaine the Random Man. <laughs> Aspen Ladd made the move up. Come on. Stack division. Well, we could, I mean, we could go on all day listing uh, female featherweights, but uh, we don't have that kind of time. So why don't we uh, move on to the next fight on the card? Another rematch, uh, this time between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. Moreno getting the victory the first time. This, for some reason, was for an interim title. I mean, the, the Moreno had just lost... Uh, title match this year. I think it was the end of January, so we're like barely six months removed from that. But, uh, you know, uh, the champ, Figueredo, is injured, so he can't fight until I don't know, the fall, presumably. So, interim title. Five rounds. Let's do it. This was up there with one of the most nonsensical interim titles that have ever been dished out. Uh, Divas and Figueredo won the title a few months ago. He will fight again this year. Uh, just a really strange decision. Um, that being said, I think a lot of people were interested in this fight between Brandon Moreno and Kai Kara France. I, I think that was the standout when we looked at this card on paper. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned that this was a rematch of a fight from 2019, a, a fight that Moreno won by unanimous decision. I didn't remember that fight at all. I, I I went back to watch it this week, and it was a really good fight. But it, I could have sworn this fight never happened prior <laughs> to this week when they started advertising. Like, oh, what do you mean, Brandon Moreno versus Kaikar France two, two? No. Well, you know, I I think a lot of that has to do with just both of these fighters have sort of reinvented. Well, I wouldn't say reinvented themselves, but like emerged. Uh, as, as big time players since that fight, like when that fight happened, they were like lower, way lower ranked. No one was really considering either for a title shot. Moreno just sort of developed some momentum, uh, being, you know, from Mexico and having that fan base and just also being just like an awesome personality. Uh, he was able to get that title fight win or well, it was a draw then. I, I, I got to use Draw that. win <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, those series of fights elevated his status. And then Kai Kara France had been really going on a run uh, lately, looking just absolutely tremendous, of course, defeating my man Askar Askarov and, and that cementing his uh, his title hopes. So uh, we'll, why don't we just get to the action and uh, let us know how it went, Derek. Moreno's working his jab to begin the fight. Uh, Kaikara France catches Moreno with an accidental low blow. Momentary pause in the action, but Moreno does not take much time to recover. Uh, Kaikara France is largely waiting to counter, but Moreno's fighting very patiently. He's pulling ahead in terms of general activity because he's getting in, he's landing the shots, and he's pulling back before France can, uh, Kaikara France can respond. Uh, a big left hand from Moreno is the most significant shot of this opening round, kind of knocking Kaikara France's head back. 
Uh, right before time expires, Car France connects with a strong right hand of his own, and he proceeds to successfully defend a deep takedown attempt from Moreno before time expires. Uh, we go into the second round. Moreno ducks under a head kick, and he presses Car France against the cage in search of a takedown. Car France defends the attempt, and he creates some separation to escape the clinch exchange. Uh, Car France, I did think he was having trouble creating his own offense. Not that he wasn't landing at all, but I thought he was finding most success on the counter. Whenever Moreno got overly aggressive, he was responding well and doing good work. But when they were standing at distance, he was having a lot of trouble finding his range. I thought this was a closer round than the first. But we get into the third round, and I thought uh, the third round was actually Kai Car France's best round up till a certain point. Car France sweeps Moreno to the ground early in round three. And he begins to work from the guard of Moreno. Uh, he actually cuts Moreno open with ground and pound, but Moreno escapes to his feet shortly thereafter. Uh, Cara France is landing really strong strikes on the feet in this round, and while the activity was still there for Moreno, it seemed like the power advantage was leaned towards Cara France. Moreno catches Cara France with a clean left uppercut at one point before tagging him with a spinning bag fist. And then we get to the finish of the fight because Brandon Moreno lands a strong kick to the body that just drops Cara France. And Cara France just turtles up on the ground in complete agony. Moreno follows him down and he just throws down ground and pound. But the fight's over from the moment the body kick landed, really. Yeah, the fight gets stopped. At 4 minutes and 34 seconds of round 3, Brandon Moreno wins by TKO, and he is now the interim UFC flyweight champion. Uh, What are your thoughts on the way this fight played out, Phil? Yeah, the first round was was a little bit slow, a lot of feeling out. Uh, I did give it to Moreno, but it was I thought it was super close. Like I didn't really have a, a problem with somebody who scored it for uh, Cara France. I, I, it was funny, you, you said that... Uh, Moreno landed the biggest strike of the round. I actually thought that Cara France had the biggest strike of the round, and that was sort of the difference. Ma- well, it wasn't the difference maker, but it was the reason why I could see it going his way. The second round, I thought, was a lot clearer for Moreno. Although it's funny, uh, the debate online, people were kind of going back and forth about that one. But I just found that Moreno was getting into his groove, and like you were pointing out. Cara France was just being a little bit too defensive and not creating his own offense. And then the third round, yeah, Cara France was really uh, starting to find his groove, seemed to be landing a lot, creating his own offense. But then the body shot just silenced all that and uh, put a quick end to uh, what was turning into be a pretty exciting fight. And in fact, this fight ended up getting a fight of the night honors uh, from Dana White and... Uh, well worth it. Well well worth it, I thought. Uh, so now this sets up the obvious rematch, the fourth fight between Brandon Moreno and uh, Davison Figueredo. Davison Figueredo came into the cage afterwards, and they had what was supposed to be a heated, I guess, stare <laughs> yeah. down. But it, 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 it turned into a, a, a little uh, kumbaya session as both men expressed their respect for each other. Uh, Figueredo said, it's his night. He's the champ, which is sort of weird, even though he's holding his, uh, you know, his non-interim title around uh, his shoulder. Um, but uh, I think that this is, you know, the, the, the first three fights were great. So uh, I'm OK with seeing this one again. I'll, I'll be looking forward to it and just really curious to see what uh, adjustments Moreno can make. And 
you know, Figueredo really also looked so much better in the last fight that I can only imagine him continuing to improve. improve. So uh, I, I'd be looking forward to it. Sounded like uh, they're aiming for December for that one. Yeah, there's a lot to go, to break down uh, with these guys' three fights to this point. I mean, the first fight, in my opinion, the greatest fight in UFC flyweight history, uh, just a brutal brawl between these guys. And I thought the first fight was Stevenson Figueredo's best performance. Yes, the fight ended in a draw, but I scored it for Figueredo regardless. And the only reason anyone scored it was as a draw was because Figueredo was deducted a point. That's right. Now, we get into, we get into the second fight. Moreno dominates Figueredo. Figueredo looks off, and Moreno looks fantastic. Wins Figueredo's championship. We go into the third fight, and this is a very close fight from the beginning till the end. The difference maker ultimately being Figueredo's power, uh, rocking and dropping Moreno two or three times to decide close rounds. So I'm interested to see how Figueredo looks in the fourth one. Uh, I think I, we know what to expect from Brandon Moreno at this point, but Figueredo a bit more of a question mark given just the roller coaster of performances mm-hmm. that he's given throughout these three yes, fights. And- uh, it was funny. At- no, I was just uh, going to say that he also has the uh, you know history of weight cut issues, uh, although that did look to be resolved in the last fight. But you never know how those can creep up again, depending on you know, what types of injuries he might be dealing with during training camp and, and other factors. So a, a lot of questions uh, going into that fourth fight, which is, is kind of crazy to say, because usually three fights settles things pretty clearly, but uh, not so much in, in this case in what will go down as the greatest rivalry in flyweight history. I imagine for Divas and Figueredo, this this must be the first time in the history of high-level MMA that one fighter has fought another fighter four times in a row. That's like, right. There's, yeah. there's been nobody in between for Davis and Figueredo. Brandon Moreno got this one against Kaikar France because Figueredo was injured, but uh, it's going to be four in a row for Davis and Figueredo. Uh, I cannot think of any other example of that. Yeah, that's, that, that is uh, pretty wild. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. All right, so something to look forward to in the fall and winter. All right, moving down the card, we have uh, Texas's favorite son, Derek Lewis, taking on Sergey Pavlovich. So this is a very short fight. Pavlovich is pressing forward from the beginning, and he rocks Lewis with a big right hand. Uh, he realizes Lewis is hurt, and he just goes on the attack, a swarming Lewis of strikes against the cage. Uh, eventually, Lewis kind of just face plants to the ground, and referee Dan Murgliata stops the fight. Uh, the, Lewis gets right back up, and uh, the crowd is infuriated with the stoppage. But Sergei Pavlovich wins at uh, 55 seconds of the very first round. 
obviously there this was uh the talk of the night almost uh the stoppage the controversial controversial stoppage which uh, i feel like it's been a while since we got one of these one that really uh sets the internet and crowds uh, aflame and joe rogan was just furious but uh Let's talk about it, Phil. Let's get your thoughts first. And I'll sure, yeah. Let's talk about this bad "quote unquote" refing, and not the horrible stand-ups that we saw during the other fights. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I was Derek Lewis in a position to continue. Absolutely. It, it, if you look ten seconds after the stoppage, it's pretty clear that it was not the right call. But as you pointed out. Lewis did a face plant. And when you land face first on the ground after taking subse- like successive shots, the ref's job is to protect you. And I can totally understand how Big Dan saw that as him being flatlined. It, it, it wasn't the case, uh, and it was, you know, incorrect, but... I'm sympathetic to it. So I don't think it was like the worst stoppage of all time, but it's just really unfortunate because it happened so quickly in the fight and we really didn't get to see uh, the action played out. And it was the fireworks from the get-go. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, uh, it was the wrong call, but I think it's a very understandable call. Whenever someone is badly hurt and they fall basically face down to the ground, you're in that split second, you have to make a choice. And uh, Dan Murgliata made his choice. Uh, In in most cases, it would have been the right choice, I think. It just, it wasn't this time. That being said, even if this fight did continue, I think Derek Lewis, 99% chance this guy is getting knocked out in the next 10 seconds. He is badly hurt, and Pavlovich was not slowed down. He's just going to hit this guy with right hands until his uh, consciousness left his brain. So I... I'm taking nothing away from Sergey Pavlovich here, who did exactly what he needed to do. Uh, barely got touched by Lewis. He got cut uh, by one looping left hand, I think it was, that kind of grazed him open near the head. But he was in no trouble, and he had no trouble dealing with Derek Lewis in this quick fight. Yeah, uh, and in regards to the future of these fighters, you know, Derek Lewis will remain, you know, a popular fighter. I'm sure his next, he'll be on another pay-per-view event and uh, he'll be a notable fighter on the main card. People are always excited to see him. Um, But, you know, Sergei Pavlovich, Pavlovich, a lot of people didn't know who he was uh, prior to this fight. Um, And uh, even though there's controversy surrounding it, a big win over a big name. Um, what would you like to see the UFC do with him next? Pavlovich is in a very interesting spot. So he, if uh, memory serves correct here, he comes into the UFC undefeated. He's finished most of his opponents in the first round. And in his UFC debut, he gets Alistair Overeem. That's a very tough matchup. And Overeem just takes him down and quickly beats him in one of the most brutal ground and pound knockouts that you'll ever see. And I can say personally, I saw that fight foolishly thinking, okay, this guy's not really, he doesn't really have much to offer. Well, since then, he's had four or five fights in the division and he's knocked all of his opponents out in the first round. This guy's clearly a very dangerous and very exciting fighter. And a win over Derek Lewis is a big one. He's going to be ranked as a top 10 fighter in the division after this. Uh, you know, it's too bad that Tai Tuivasa is uh, locked up with Cyril Gan next because I think Sergei Pavlovich versus Tai Tuivasa would be a hell of a fight. Oh, you want to jump him that far up the rankings, eh? And- yeah, it's heavyweight, sure. 
Uh, okay. Well, right now, yeah. So right now he's ranked 11. So he's definitely going to jump up after defeating uh, number five, Derek Lewis. Um, you know, what's going on with uh, Volkov? Why not Volkov? Did they uh, want to put two, a, two, two Russians too. together? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a good idea. I, I often forget about Alexander Volkov. I don't know what he's up to. <laughs> What's he been up to lately? <laughs> I don't know. Let's go check out his Instagram. Yeah, let's go check out. What's, uh, what's Alexander Volkov done in the recent memory? I remember him losing to uh, Tom Aspinall in like a minute, but I think he came back and uh, beat somebody in, in quick fashion. But for the life of me, I can't remember who it was or when it was. Oh well, that's uh, that's sort of telling of the state of the UFC heavyweight division. I, sec- I got second it. For- he beat Jarzinho Rosenstrike in two minutes. That's so right. That's his last fight, uh, coming off a win. That's, that think- make, that that actually makes perfect sense. You know, Rosenstrike's a big puncher. He beat him quickly. Derek Lewis is a big puncher who got beat quickly. So let, let's put the uh, two Russians uh, to fight each other. I'm down. All right, moving down. Uh, to the next fight on the card. Alexandra Pantoja versus Alex Perez. All right, main event time. The fight starts, and Alexander Pantoja, this guy just comes swinging hooks like a complete lunatic. He has no regard for Alex Perez's power, and he backs him up quickly. He takes him down, and he grabs Perez's back as Perez is trying to get himself back up. Uh, Pantoja is looking for a rear naked choke. He can't get the arm under the chin, but guess what? He doesn't have to. He just cranks the neck in the most brutal uncomfortable fashion possible and uh, Perez taps out so Alexandra Pantoja wins by rear naked choke at a minute and 31 seconds of round one. Oh my god what a performance absolutely I mean uh you know you sometimes hear the term he big brothered him he big brothered him here he just he just had no respect whatsoever for uh Perez just walked through his shots when he when he took the back just had a vicious body triangle and as you said just no choke needed face crank neck crank jaw crush all in one just no way that uh, Perez was going to survive that his his body was being twisted in all sorts of perverse angles and uh just you know an eye opening performance for Pantoja who's you know one of the most exciting f- fighters in the flyweight division uh you know a, a key spot you know if if the next flyweight title uh wasn't uh booked uh, you know, he he'd he'd have he made a strong case for himself. So I suspect we're going to see him featured on another uh, prominent flyweight card, maybe that uh, title fight. Um, because uh, if somebody pulls out, he would be an excellent replacement, and he he's a natural candidate to be uh, you know next in line. Yeah, Pantoja is uh, in a very interesting spot amongst the top ranked fighters in the division. I believe he has losses to Divas and Figueredo and Askar Askarov. But he's beaten Kaikara France and Brandon Moreno uh, in the same week on the Ultimate Fighter. And he's beat Brandon Moreno again since then. So if, theoretically, if he were to, if Figueredo were, was out due to his injury for an extended amount of time, then you can immediately sell the narrative. Uh, this guy's beat Brandon Moreno twice. So there's something to be said for there. And uh, he cut a very impassioned uh, post-fight promo saying, hey, I'm the best fighter in this division. I've beat both of these guys who are fighting for the interim title later in this night, and I did it easily. So uh, a hell of a night for Alexander Pantoja. 
Yes, and uh, he was rewarded with a performance of the night bonus as well. So uh, a very good night for Pantoja. All right. And opening up the card, we have Mr. Apex himself, Anthony Smith, taking on Magomed Ankalaev, one of the wildest lines ever. Uh, Ankalaev, a minus 600 favorite to Anthony Smith's plus 450 uh, dog. I mean, uh, we talked about this last night. Uh, I thought Ankalaev was a clear favorite, but like... What is that? Five to one, six to one? I don't know. A lot to one. And uh, it's kind of disrespectful to Anthony Smith, who had looked very good in his last few fights. I was surprised by the line, too. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ankalaev has been racking up win after win, but since moving to ranked competition, he's definitely looked uh, not as impressive as he did on his way up. His fights against the likes of uh, Volcano Zdemir, I believe, and Tiago Santos have hardly been. Uh, particularly impressive. So going into this fight, yes, I favored him, but I, I was shocked by the line as well. All right. So how did the action play out, Eric? The fighters are exchanging leg kicks to begin the fight. Both men eventually start throwing their kicks to the body, but uh, neither guy is terribly active, and the, the fans in attendance are voicing their displeasure with the pace of the fight. Uh, roughly 90 seconds remaining in the rounds. Uh, Ankalaev partially connects with a head kick before tagging Smith with a heavy leg kick. Uh, Smith goes for a leg kick of his own, and well, we'll get into it, but he falls to the ground, and he chooses not to return to his feet. So the last like 60 seconds of the fight is just Ankalaev throwing leg kicks down at Anthony Smith. Uh, we go into between rounds. Smith tells his corner that his ankles hurt. Uh, the start round two, they trade leg kicks, and it's clear that Smith can hardly stand on this leg, so he shoots for a takedown. It's not a good attempt. Uh, Ankalaev easily uh, stops it and puts Smith into a compromised position on the ground. He postures up and starts throwing down some brutal ground and pound shots. Uh, Smith is hurt and really incapable of doing anything to escape in the position. So Magomed Ankalaev wins by TKO at 3 minutes and 9 seconds of the second round. Uh, uh, the injury was unfortunate, but it was, that's MMA. It's not like it was a freak accident. Ankalaev was checking leg kicks, and that's what happens. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is what, the third event in a row with uh, a fight uh, that, you know, ends due to uh, injury. Thankfully, it was not the main event, but uh, very unfortunate for Anthony Smith. Uh, I I mean, really, until that last uh, 60 seconds, when he went to his back of the first round, it was anybody's round, and it could have gone to Smith. I ultimately gave it to Ankoliev. I thought Smith was looking fairly good, had good movement, um, but, uh, you know, sort of proving the point that the line was ridiculous. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the injury happened. He tried his best to work through it, try to get a takedown, but, uh, you know, clearly too much uh, pain and discomfort to bear. And uh, so now Ankalaev moves up into, you know, pretty close to title contention. He's won nine consecutive fights after dropping his UFC debut to Paul Craig, a fight that he was easily winning until he got Paul Craig with a second left in the fight. So, I mean, this guy is, uh, he's lost very few rounds. He's lost even fewer fights. He's on a massive win streak. And really, it all depends on the UFC's direction because I have a feeling that the UFC is going to go with Yuri Brahashka versus Glover Teixeira 2 next. 
which leaves uh, Jan Blachowicz and uh, Ankalaev as our two top contenders. Blachowicz coming off of a win, and obviously uh, with Ankalaev coming off of this large win streak, I wouldn't be surprised if these two fighters face off in what would be a, really a number one contender's bout before actually fighting for the title next. Yeah, that makes the most sense. And if uh, and if it were to go in the other direction, if they do choose to do uh, not give Glover the rematch, then you can do Glover versus uh, Ankalaev as well. All right, so uh, that wraps up the pay-per-view portion of the card, but uh, there were some other good fights on the preliminary card that I think are worth talking about. And uh, so the the uh, sort of headliner of the uh, preliminary card was a welterweight class between Alex Morono and Matthew Semmelsberger. Uh, Semmelsberger, somebody with a fair bit of hype around him. Uh, Morono, you know, somebody that... We kind of sleep on, but, uh, you know, he'd won three in a row and looked very good in those fights. Uh, I agree. I think he did look good. He got a big win over Donald Cerrone, which, you know, isn't the most impressive name if you've actually seen any of Donald Cerrone's last seven fights, but still a very big name in the sport. Uh, definitely his uh, the biggest win of his career to that point. Uh, I recall he had a competitive fight with Anthony Pettis, although uh, Pettis did win that one, I believe. Oh, that, that's but, right. Uh, Sorry, my mistake. But yeah, Morono has been making uh, a name for himself as of late, and he was rewarded with a big spot on the prelims against Matthew Semmelsberger, who's been a bit inconsistent, but when he's looked good, he's he's looked very good, picking up some big knockouts quick in some high-profile bouts. Yeah. So, well, so just going down Morono's, he had won three in a row. So that Anthony Pettis fight was before the Cerrone fight. So, uh, so we were both kind of right on that. Um, well, how'd the action play out, Eric? Uh, Morono connects with a looping right hand over the top early in the fight. A short left hook from Morono finds its target, and it's putting Semmelsberger on the retreat momentarily. Uh, Semmelsberger attacks the league leg of Morono with kicks before pressing him against the cage in search of a takedown. Uh, Morono is able to stay on his feet, and the fighters trade elbows as they broke away from the clinch. Morono lands a big looping right hand, and afterwards Semmelsberger's left eye is swelling heavily. Uh, scored the first round 10-9 for Morono. We get into the second round, and Morono is working his jab throughout the opening minute. Uh, Samuelsberger is caught by a big right hook following a spinning backfist attempt. And Samuelsberger is really having trouble getting going here because Morono is really taking control of this fight, largely behind his jab and those looping right hands. Uh, the, the right hands in particular were really piling up, and uh, this was another fairly clear round in his favor despite a late takedown from Samuelsberger. Uh, we go into the third round. Selmsberger's corners told him, you, you need to finish to win this fight. And you know what? He comes in and he's determined to get that finish because he throws a big flying knee and Morono is hurt. Unfortunately for Selmsberger, that is, he's unable to keep Morono down on the ground. And Morono's actually able to get back to his feet despite being hurt. And he seems to have recovered. He goes back to working that jab and Selmsberger slows down as a result. I should say Semmelsberger's uh, left eye is like completely swollen shut by like the midway point of round two. So he can't see any of these shots coming. Uh, they traded re- like heavy right hands with uh, about 90 seconds remaining in the round. And they wrestled in the clinch until time expires. Alex Moreno wins by unanimous decision. Scores of 29-28, 29-28, and 30-27. I saw 29-28 for Moreno. Uh, how about you, Phil? 
Yeah, I had it the same way. Kind of perplexing how you could give that third round to uh, Moreno, considering that Semmelsberger almost finished the fight. And even when it did get back up to the feet, like it was very competitive. Semmelsberger was still doing okay. Moreno did sort of have uh, some moments in the last minute of the round, but not enough to give it to him. Nonetheless, he deserved the victory. A very solid performance. Semmelsberger showed a lot of, uh, you know, uh, fortitude, uh, and, uh, you know, he, he never gave up despite, you know, not being able to see out of one eye. Um, so uh, I'd like to, I'm curious to see how he rebounds. He had some trouble finding his range early in the fight. Um, and then later he was able to close that distance. I think he found his jab and wasn't uh, missing as much. Uh, he also landed quite a few leg kicks that I think helped him uh, navigate that as well. But you know, uh, for Alex Morono, uh, you know, another win. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, pro I don't know how far he is from being ranked, but it can't be too far. Uh, yeah, he's probably not far off. I mean, I don't know what Morono's ceiling is at welterweight. He does have a lot of flaws in his game. That makes me think that the ranked competition might be a bit tough for him. But I think he's earned the opportunity to prove people like me wrong at this point after four consecutive wins against a decent competition. Exactly. All right, so next up, we had a great fight between Drew Dober and Rafael Alves. Drew Dober has been in just barn burner after barn burner, and uh, this one was no different. Yeah, both fighters are just throwing big strikes early, clearly looking for quick finishes. Uh, Alves eventually changes levels, and he's successful in bringing Dober down to the ground, where he begins to work from half guard. Uh, the crowd, they hate this. They hated grappling on this card, so they're just, you know, stand them up, stand them up. But uh, Mike Beltran opted to let him work, and Dober was eventually able to escape to his feet without the referee assistance. Uh, the fighters were swinging wildly back on the feet, and it felt as though it would only be a matter of time before one of these shots just ended the other's night. But the, this round did reach its uh, ending, and I did give it to Dober as he, towards the end of the round. I thought he really pulled away by just teeing off on Alves against the cage. We get into round two, and it's kind of going around the same way. Uh, Dober is pressing forward and just throwing constant strikes at Alves against the cage. To Alves's credit, he's doing a good job of avoiding the majority of the damage, showcasing some slick movement as he danced and taunted and put on show for the crowd. But I didn't think he was landing enough of his own in return, and as a result, Dober was pulling ahead in the fight. We go into round three. Uh, Alves shoots for a single leg, but Dober manages to defend the attempt, and he throws this big left hook to the body that just drops Alves, and the fight's immediately stopped. Drew Dober wins by TKO at a minute and 30 seconds of the third round. Beautiful body shot finish, fun fight, and excellent performance. Yeah, uh, excellent performance and a uh, fight of uh, night win, or a performance of the night bonus for uh, Mr. Drew Dober. Uh, so uh, another scintillating uh a uh, turn of events. I think I accidentally uh, banned Scott Michael Ferry. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> Oops. Can I... Okay. Well, we'll we'll pay him back in some other way. Uh, he asked for it, sort of. Poor Scott just wants to support us and MMA and the Post Wrestling Network, and now he's banned for life. 
uh, I'm sure I'll figure out how to uh, remove the timeout uh, as soon as the show's over. Sorry, Scott. Uh, please forgive me. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so great performance from Drew Dober. You know, somebody, you know, he's been in there with uh, some high level fighters, hasn't got the W. Uh, you know, you, you, you can kind of see where his ceiling is at, but he's in such exciting fights that, you know, he, he's always going to be somebody that they, you know, put on a card to, to generate some buzz. And he even said it after the fact. He wants to be in exciting fights. He turns down boring fights. And, uh, you know, he's got a, a record to show that. All right, so just rounding out the rest of the card, we had a, a heavyweight bout between Hamde Abdelwahab defeating Dantel Mays. This was Abdelwahab's uh, debut in the UFC. Um, you know, a uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, uh, Olympian from Egypt, first Egyptian apparently in the UFC, and he had a pretty impressive performance in a very... Uh, Sloppy but fun heavyweight contest. He also had Drakkar close defeating Rafa Garcia uh, by unanimous decision. And then on the early preliminary card, Michael Morales defeated Adam Fugit by TKO in round three. Jocelyn Edwards defeated Ji Yun Kim by split decision. Nikolai Negamaranu defeated Ihor Potera by TKO in the second. And Orion Koshe defeated Mike. Mathitha by decision, unanimous decision. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see the early preliminary card. Was there anything that stood out, Eric? Anything somebody should go back and watch? Um, if there is something that stood out from the early preliminary portion of this card, I've long since forgotten because this all happened like 20 hours ago and there's been like 10 fights since then. So <laughs> just read the results and uh, decide for yourself if that's something you want to see. Uh, yes. All right. So coming up, and oh, I did mention, so once again, the performance of the night bonuses, Drew Dover, Pantoja, and fight of the night between Moreno and Kai Car France. Kind of hard to imagine that Amanda Nunez didn't have a performance of the night because uh, it was pretty spectacular. Uh, uh, she didn't get the finish. She didn't uh, get the finish. And that's where you get those performance bonuses for. Touche, touche. All right. So coming up next week, uh, the UFC. Uh, returns to the UFC Apex for a scintillating bout between Tiago Santos, Santos and Jamal Hill. Vincente Luque versus Jeff Neal is also on the card. That's a pretty good fight. Uh, anything else of note? Augusto Sakai versus Sergey Spivak. Oh, Sam Alvey returns. Our Discord's favorite fighter, Sam Alvey, returns, taking on Michael Oleksychuk. So that's yeah, coming. Horrible. <laughs> so that one's coming up. The following week, you've got uh, Marlon Vera versus Dominic Cruz from uh, San Diego. So that one should be pretty exciting. And then John, John Pollock, remember him, MMA fans? He returns to the UFC post show as him and I will be reviewing UFC 278. Usman versus Edwards to some this card's looking pretty good right now. You've got Usman versus Edwards in a long-awaited mat rematch, another rematch. Edwards finally getting his title shot. Jose Aldo versus Murab Devalishvili. That's a pretty exciting fight. Paulo Costa versus Luke Rockhold. If uh, hold on, hold on. There's no way that actually happens, right? There's, <laughs> there's no way Luke Rockhold versus Paulo Costa happens. That fight's not going to happen, surely. <laughs> well, we 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 can pray. I mean, 
who who is more likely to make the walk to the octagon luke rockhold or leon edwards <laughs> oh oh man uh that is okay you know what i'll say leon edwards is more likely but I don't know if Leon Edwards versus Kamaru Usman is more likely. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunately for Mr. Edwards, it seems like all his title opportunities and big fight opportunities are pretty cursed. Uh, but it does seem like this one is finally going to happen for him. And uh, I, I, I'm pretty intrigued. I mean, you know, he's gotten a lot better. Kamaru Usman's gotten trim- uh, incredibly better. You know, many view him as the pound for pound number one fighter. Very hard to argue against that. So uh, I am intrigued by this matchup, even though we have seen it before. And uh, Marab versus Aldo likely to determine who will challenge uh, the winner of TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling for the next uh, bantamweight championship bout. Yes, most likely. Unless, what do you th- do? You think though, if uh, Sean O'Malley can beat uh, Piotr Jan, he might uh, jump in queue. Yeah, I think if Sean O'Malley beats Piotr Jan, they would give him the shot, but I'm not expecting that to be the result. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think uh, many people but are. Hey, but... You hey, know so what? He... Sean O'Malley came out and he said, "If I, when I beat Piotr Jan and I get the next shot, I'm immediately going to award a title opportunity to Jose Aldo Jr. because he's the greatest of all time. So you know oh. what? Sean O'Malley, Sean O'Malley has a fan in Eric Margot as of this week. Wow, he turned you. He turned you. Amazing. I mean, it wasn't the basketball. It wasn't his his, his jump shot. It it was the love for Jose Aldo. Oh, just as an aside, as as we mentioned basketball, I mean, I think we have to say uh, rest in peace to the great Bill Russell who passed away earlier today. Uh, absolute legend of the sport. Yes, of course. Uh, you know, the Celtics' favorite son. Uh, I mean, all-time winningest uh, championships. Is that correct? Yeah, had, 11 yeah. championships as a player and a coach. Uh, civil rights. Uh, that's as big of a part of his legacy as basketball is, if not greater, if we're talking about actual importance. Uh, a guy who's the, the finals MVP trophies named after. Uh, very sad. But, you know, he lived to the age of 88. That's That's a full life. All right. Well, rest in peace, Bill Russell. And uh, on that note, I think uh, we will bid this crowd adieu. Uh, Again, my apologies to one Scott Michael Ferry. Uh, (laughs) I I didn't realize it would just completely banish you from the YouTube, but hopefully you were able to watch uh, the rest of the show. And thank you to everybody else who tuned in. Thank you to everybody who participated last night in the Discord. Thank you, as always, Eric, for running the polls and helping me out with this show. And uh, we'll see everybody soon. Oh, remember, like, like the video, subscribe to Post Wrestling. And if you want even more great content, go to patreon.com slash post wrestling. All right. Peace out, everyone.